test. Peace and blessings. Welcome to the Right Authority Podcast. I am your host, the KCOG. Our guest today is Malik Yakini with the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. We will join that conversation in progress. Okay, brother. And <clears throat> first of all, uh, uh, I go by the KCOG, and that OG is the uh, opinionated grandpa. I don't want people to get things twisted. Uh, I am I am the uh, proud grandfather and great grandfather. So I have a total of uh, seventeen when you include all the grandchildren and great grandchildren, just so that you get an idea. Uh, my given name is Carlos Carr Sr. And it's, I just want to take an opportunity to get uh, a little bit of the background out of the way so that you feel comfortable with me. And even though I've seen your presentation, I was uh, actually turned on to your presentation by the Kansas City chapter of the Black United Front at their 42nd uh, anniversary of the uh, organization so i was very impressed with your uh presentation and i just felt that it's part of what i call intelligent agenda building because what you're doing brother is uh is really some great work i'm gonna take a quick minute and i'm gonna make this as quick as possible and while i'm setting up on my side uh, this is that opportunity. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have your personal bio. Uh, I will let everyone know that, uh, uh, is it Malik or Malik? Cause Malik. Malik, okay. Uh, Malik Yakini is the uh, is with the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. And what I can tell you what this is about is agriculture, and policy development. Uh, those are the two main things. Now, with that said, I'm gonna allow uh, Malik to go ahead and give a little background on himself and his role uh, with the network. Thank you, Brother Carlos. Uh, so my title is Executive Director of the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. And in that capacity, I'm responsible for the overall operation of the organization's programs, including the farm that we operate, D-Town Farm, um, the youth program that we run, the Detroit, I'm sorry, the Food Warriors Youth Development Program. When I say I'm responsible for it, it's one of the programs of the organization. We have a director for that program. My comrade and sister, Mama Hanifa Ajuman, uh, runs the program directly but I'm responsible for the overall organization. So that's one of the programs. And then we're building a food, uh, what we call the Detroit Food Commons, a new building that will house the Detroit People's Food Co-op, a cooperatively owned grocery store, which we also initiated. So those are the main things that we do. I'm a long-term participant in the Black liberation struggle. For about 22 years, I directed an African-centered school in Detroit. I've been involved in many other organizations so that, you know, those are the main things I think people need to know. 
Fantastic. And I'm going to go ahead and get a little bit more into some of the other things coming up with uh, with the network, because it looks like they have a lot of things going on. So I'm going to speed this up. I'm going to just throw some things at you. I'm right on your website. So some of these things, all of these things are coming directly off the site. Uh, one of the things I see here is your D-Town form. Can you give us a little information about the D-Town form? Sure. So D-Town Farm is a seven acre farm in Detroit. It's actually in a city of Detroit park. We have what's called a license agreement with the city of Detroit to use the land, the seven acres for this model organic farm. Uh, we've been at this particular site for since 2008. We had two sites prior to that, a site in 2006 that we had to leave from, a site in 2007 we had to leave from, and then we settled into the current site in 2008 and we've been there ever since. So every year we grow more than 40 different fruits, vegetables, and herbs. We train a cohort of new urban farmers each year. And we do the training both through formal internships um, and also through informal volunteer opportunities. We, um, we have a solar power station. In fact, the only power at the farm is solar power. Um, we have a rainwater retention system where we can collect rainwater and use it to water crops. We do composting. We do season extension using hoop houses. Uh, we do beekeeping. So we, we got a lot going on. And again, we're trying to model what urban agriculture can look like. We're trying to model what efforts at Black food sovereignty look like. Uh, we think it's a, a pitiful position that we find ourselves in where we're dependent upon people who hate us in some cases to feed us. And so uh, it's our responsibility to find ways to feed ourselves. In fact, really agriculture is the beginning of civilization. Mm -hmm. And so as we think about how we uh, rebuild ourselves as a people, you know, uh, restore ourselves as the Nguzo Saba says to our traditional greatness, uh, one of the things that we have to seriously embrace is agriculture. Uh, and even as we're looking at how we create more vibrant uh, more vibrant economies in black communities and urban areas, agriculture and food plays heavily into that because people buy food every day and people eat regardless of their class, regardless of their religion. You know, we have all these things that divide us in the black community. One brother, sister might say, I'm a more, Next brother, sister say, I'm a, with the nation of gods and earths. The next brother, sister say, I'm Rasta. And a lot of times we can't get together because of our differences. Mm -hmm. But food is something that unites us across all of those differences. And it should be a way that we can come together regardless of our ideology or philosophy to provide food for ourselves and to capture that money and circulate it in our community instead of having it extracted from our community by white people and Arabs and others. So, and in, in, in short, you are really connected into the the natural world of agriculture and how you, it seems like you created a whole ecosystem where it, take, it, it takes care of itself. And most importantly, it's self-sufficient. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it takes care of itself. We have to put a lot, a lot of labor into it. Right. You know, we try to replicate natural systems as much as we can, but there's still a lot of human labor that goes into that. 
and I can understand that. And the other thing, man, I really think this is truly revolutionary. And I don't know if that's me. Is my mic up a little too high on your side? Oh, your mic is fine. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I really think this is really what I call revolutionary. And then one of the other things that you do is that you have uh, educational and youth programs where uh, especially, uh, I'm going to start with the youth, the food uh, warriors, uh, the youth development program. Now, see, this is why it's so revolutionary, because you're starting with young minds. So could you go into some details about that? Sure. Well, again, I want to lift up my sister, Hanifa, Mama Hanifa Ajuman, who runs that program directly. And she's one of the co-founders of the organization. And uh, we've been comrades for, for quite some time. Uh, but I'll, I'll give a little of my history and say that I'm 65 years old. And when I first became conscious or gained knowledge of self, as some people say, about 1969, we had the view then, 1969, 1970, that the revolution was coming like in the next six weeks or something like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we used to talk like, you know, like that when the deal goes down, you know, because it was something we thought was imminent. Mm -hmm. We didn't really realize the protracted nature of this struggle. And not only is it protracted, but it has to be intergenerational. So now being a more mature revolutionary now uh, and realizing the protracted nature of the struggle, we realized that for our movement to be sustainable, we have to intentionally involve young people. And so this is why we have the Food Warriors Youth Development Program. We have to cultivate young people who see the value in producing food for ourselves and who understand how to do that. See, that, that's, that's really beautiful, man. And that's the way we got to get it done. So that's very important. Now, here's the what I call the uh, ingenious part of what you're doing. Uh, let's get into the Detroit People's Food Co-op. Sure. So in Black communities throughout the United States, we have other ethnic groups that come in and open the grocery stores in our community. What, and what group owns the grocery stores in black communities in Kansas City? Well, here, uh, mostly Arab and Korean. <laughs> yep. And in Detroit, it's mostly an ethnic group called Chaldeans who are from Iraq. Mm. Uh, if you go to Chicago, it's going to be another ethnic group. If you go to LA, it's going to be another ethnic group. So the ethnic group changes, but the scenario stays the same. Mm. That is because black people have been disempowered intentionally and in many cases black business districts were intentionally destroyed it leaves us easy prey for people who come in from all across the world uh to make a buck mm -hmm. and so they come to you know the black community uh because we don't have the infrastructure set up to provide groceries for ourselves and often these people are coming from parts of the world that have experienced strife and war and they're not they're not scared so they're you know they're willing to go into communities where other groups might not be willing to and set up shop and make money mm -hmm. but it's an extractive economy and it's, a, it's an exploitive relationship and you know often i tell people that if a black man in detroit tried to go into the chaldean community and open a store uh they wouldn't they wouldn't be in business too long because the chaldean community understands the importance of group economics mm -hmm. and just simply wouldn't support the store. But then to add insult to injury, not only does an extractive economy exist, but we find in Detroit that often the people who work in these stores, especially the smaller stores, what we call in Detroit party stores, 
or what they call on the East Coast bodegas, especially mm. in those stores, there's a great deal of disrespect by the people working in the, in the stores towards people in the community. And I don't want to overgeneralize and say every one of them is disrespectful, but there's far too much disrespect. And so if a woman goes into a store to buy a loaf of bread and a bottle of milk, she's not looking for a date. She shouldn't be called baby. She shouldn't be, you know, hit on. And this is what happens all the time in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only do we have an extractive relationship, but we have a, a, a relationship where often the people who are extracting the wealth from our community don't even have the basic respect for us as human beings. And so the way we have traditionally as a people addressed an economy which is hell-bent on keeping us out of the mainstream of the economy is by creating cooperatives. And so coming right out of chattel slavery, Black people began to work together and create producers cooperatives and farming cooperatives and childcare and education cooperatives. Uh, you might know that in Memphis, uh, the very first uh, anti-lynching articles that Ida B. Wells wrote were because the owners of the People's Grocery in Memphis had been lynched and uh, the, or the managers of the people ran the store. And that was a cooperative as well. And so this is a, a, a tactic that we have used historically to galvanize our economic wealth and our economic power. And it's more in tune with African culture. You know, European culture tends to be much more individualistic and certainly the capitalist kind of outgrowth of European culture, uh, you know, presses this idea of individual growth and, uh, you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. But we know that uh, throughout the African continent that this idea of communalism or of the well-being of the group being of more importance than the individual was one of the things that characterized society. And, you know, Dr. Karenga kind of summarized that idea we see throughout the continent and the idea of Ujamaa and making that part of the Nguzo Sawa. Of course, Ujamaa, you know, was practiced in Tanzania under Julius Nayeri as a, a form of self-reliance and economics. But uh, yeah, so this is what we need. We think this is what we need to do cooperatively owned businesses and you know even be you know a lot of times we hear about buy black campaigns which we support that but simply because a business owner is black doesn't mean that person is operating in the best interest of the black community mm -hmm. so many times what we we have black businesses who the owner's sons and daughters go to college and they have nice cars and nice houses but that doesn't necessarily uplift the larger black community so cooperatives are a way that we can lift ourselves up collectively. Boy, that's, that's a mouthful, but that was so much true. Now, the Detroit Food Commons, uh, is that also connected uh, with the so, security network? Yes. Yeah, so the Detroit Food Commons is a new 34,000 square foot building that we're building on Detroit's main street, which is called Woodward Avenue. That building will house the Detroit People's Food Co-op, the cooperative grocery store that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But also on the second floor of that building, we'll have four shared use kitchens where food entrepreneurs of various sizes can come in and rent kitchen space in a licensed kitchen to produce products that they can either then put into the co-op or they can put in other retail stores and maybe they do catering or maybe they make cakes or soups or whatever that they wanna be able to sell on a wholesale level. Uh, we're also having a 3000 square foot community meeting space on the second floor of the building that can be used for small conferences, 
lectures, film screenings, performances, and the like. And then we're moving the offices of the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network onto the second floor of the building as well. So we have a development partner in that project, another nonprofit called Develop Detroit, headed by a Black woman named Sonia Mays. And they're experienced developers. And so they're really managing the, managing the development of the project. And we are about, within the next 60 days, we'll close on everything and we'll be prepared to break ground in January. Man, that, that is beautiful. That is so beautiful. Now, I also see the very last paragraph here is that you are making it very clear that uh, you need multiple funding streams, uh, including grants, loans uh, from members, uh, bank loans, the, per the purchase of individual member or ownership shares. Right. Uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Well, let me start by saying that to be a member of the Detroit People's Food Co-op, you have to live in the state of Michigan. And it has to do with some some laws and not getting caught up in interstate commerce and what have you. Um, so it costs $200 to become what's called a member owner of the Detroit People's Food Co-op. Uh, people can pay it all in one lump sum, or they can pay it in 10 installment payments of $20 per month. Mm -hmm. And as a member owner, you are eligible to run for the board of directors. You're eligible to vote in the annual elections for board of directors members. You're able to um, vote on things like bylaws changes. The members actually own the business. It's not like Sam's Club where you buy a membership and the only thing the membership allows you to do is go in and spend your money. <laughs> in this case, you are an actual owner of the business who has say so in how things operate. Um, so, Again, that's going to operate inside the Detroit Food Commons. The Detroit Food Commons is the building and the Detroit People's Food Co-op is the anchor tenant for that building. Man, so as my audience can see, this is a well thought out, executed, well, I should say planned and executed program. Now, my next question will, will be this, is, is your program being duplicated anywhere outside of Detroit? So we're members of the National Black Food and Justice Alliance. And I'll I'll give the web address for that in case people want to check us out. Mm -hmm. And that's www.blackfoodjustice.org. Again, www.blackfoodjustice.org. So there's more than 30 organizations, Black organizations throughout the United States who are doing similar work that are members of this alliance. They might, some are creating food co-ops, some operate farms, some work in policy, but we're all working together towards the goal of building greater black food sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Now, this, well, I, I heard what you said and it sounds like this network is working on being a food chain network within its own right. Yeah, we're really trying to put together an alternative food system and we're grappling with questions like how do we get food grown by black farmers in the south to cities in the north like Chicago and Cleveland and Detroit and New York? Uh, how do we produce as much as we can in those cities? And how do we create the retail outlets to not only produce the food, but to sell the food? And so we're really trying to create a complete food system that black people control 
and that is non-extractive and that we can take the tremendous amount of money that we spend on food and circulate that money in our communities to build empowerment. Man, again, uh, you're talking about revolutionary. Uh, this in its concept and its execution and just in its being, it's total revolutionary thought. Uh, you know, Carlos, let me say this, that we've been working on this project for 11 years. When we first started, we were incredibly naive and we thought we would have it done in about two years. Mm -hmm. and so one of the things I've learned is that one of the reasons black folks don't do stuff on the scale too often is because uh, you have to be able to stay in the game long enough to get to the finish line. <laughs> and staying in the game also means you got to have the money to stay in the game because there's all kind of delays and what have you. Mm -hmm. So I just want to, you know, just state that and talk about, you know, how we have to really look at long-term struggle. You know, black folks are good for, you know, you know, we jump up and down for a minute, you know, something happens and we respond to it for six weeks and then we fall off. But this kind of work that we're doing is, is long-term building. You know, it's not just responding to, to the system treating us wrong, but it's really building our own version of reality. And it takes years and years and decades, and it has to be intergenerational work. I totally agree. And you're, and you're on the right uh, path with that, especially with the education and uh, youth development program. So uh, this program is, is definitely strong. Uh, let me give that web address out to uh, www.blackfoodjustice.org. Yes. And again, okay. so that's the National Black Food and Justice Alliance. National national that's a national hookup see this is a, a model we can use in other areas i mean i'm serious i mean just just think of it security uh education where you you're already walking down the line of economics politics i mean this is such a great model so my hat goes off to you and all those that make up this organization and the work that you guys put in to really make this thing happen. Now, this is live. This thing is for real. Uh, I got to ask one real quick question before I lose the thought. Uh, considering that you guys over the last few years have been going through a major water problem, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I know the funding and the work that goes into it that uh, make things green and make things come. I know that's a lot, but then you have to deal with a water shortage. Uh, yeah, so there's been an ongoing water crisis in Detroit for some time. And um, there's been a tremendous number of water shutoffs over the last decade or so. And so, but also, you know, the reality is that black folks and poor point folks are resilient. <laughs> and so a lot of times, you know, the water department will come and cut folks water off. And then 15 minutes later, a band with some brothers will pull up and say, we'll cut it back on for $25. <laughs> you know, you, you can buy you can buy a water key from Home Depot to tell you yeah. the truth. And, and so, you know, as the system becomes more uh, repressive, you know, we find more ways to become resilient. So I don't know how many people are actually without water. You know, there are some people that have water on that is so-called illegal, although that whole concept is questionable, you mm -hmm. know, who has ownership of water. 
Uh, so yeah, that's an ongoing problem. And there's a whole group of people in Detroit who have been struggling around that issue for more than 10 years and trying to present what's called a water affordability plan so that water is priced at a level that everybody can afford it. And we are in very close uh, relationship with the folks who have been leading that struggle against water. In fact, water and food go hand in hand, frankly. For sure. And you're talking about real power, having the power to feed and to drink when you want it. That's real power. Yeah. We, we have to understand that. So, uh, I know you got a few things going. I'm only going to hold you another moment and I'm going to let you get out of here because if you got a hard stop at 9 30, that means you got to get, get ready to get in motion. So, I do understand that. But again, uh, I do want to offer my congratulations to everybody that is involved with the Detroit Black community food security network and especially the work that you guys are doing with the education and youth program the detroit people's food co-op and the detroit food commons uh that is a lot of uh, keep in mind that when they get this thing open he's also providing jobs as he said but they even forecast that they're going to create more than 20 jobs for community residents. So, like I said, this plan is well thought out. Uh, if we want to get donations, if we want to get, uh, I heard you say the membership, but if we just want to just throw a donation or if there's another organization out there, and I know of one in Omaha that sits on 17 acres. And it's like, why don't y'all grow food? You know, but I know that's a massive undertaking to take on 17 acres, but someone with your knowledge and experience can at least get them pointed in the right direction. So well, let, let me say this, brother Carlos, that there are people right in Kansas City who are doing very similar work. Mm -hmm. And I, I, while we would appreciate people in Kansas City supporting the work we're doing in Detroit, I think what's more important is that they support the work that's going on on the ground locally in Kansas City. Our brother Dre Taylor, for example, who runs Nile Valley Aquaponics, and I think he's still running. I know he's back and forth between Ghana and Kansas City these days, but uh, people should look him up and should, uh, should support him. Uh, there's uh, a few other folks, and I'm not going to try to name all the names right now, but on the ground in KC, of both KC Kansas and KC Missouri, who are doing uh, food security work, who are doing organic agriculture, urban agriculture and aquaponics and what have you. And so the most important thing is to seek them out where you are and to support them. If people would like to give a donation or find out more information about the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network, they can go to our website, which is www.dbc fsn.org again that's www.dbcfsn.org give me that brother's name again here in kansas city our brother uh, dre taylor nile valley aquaponics i'll definitely look that up uh was it now like the uh, river yes
Appreciate that, brother. And again, I know you got things to do. It's uh, 20 minutes after the hour. Thank I, you. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And I will get this out to uh, my listeners. Uh, I normally do a live platform, but I had to shut that down. So I'm just recording this. I'll go ahead and put that into a format and get that out uh, to my listeners. I'll send you a link so you can check things out for yourself. Thank you much. Appreciate being your guest. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And I appreciate you taking the time. Again, I hope the family as well. I, I haven't forgot about our delay. I hope the family as well. And if there's anything I can do other than send my condolences to the family, just let me know. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You have a great evening, sir. Thank you. Black Power. Black Power. Y'all, again, that is Brother Malik Yakini with the Detroit black community food security network and you heard all the great work that he is doing out there uh we need to get in touch with that again i'm going to give out the website to um the black justice organization that's again www.blackfoodjustice.org that is a, a co-op of uh, not a co-op but it's a membership of 30 organizations uh, doing the same type of work as the detroit black community food security network around the country you, you heard him uh, give a tip off to now valley uh, aquaponics and brother dre taylor here in kansas city i will take the time out to look that brother up and before we get out of here, I was starting to talk about something that was very, very important to me. Uh, what that is, is a very good friend and comrade of mine has been working on a book uh, over the last uh, 10, 15, 20, 25 years or so. Uh, I just happened to be a board member with this brother uh, for about seven years with the Malcolm X Memorial Foundation in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I feel special about this because I heard this, uh, this about this book, why the book was still in its conceptual form. Uh, I heard about this book as Walter was doing the research on the books. I heard about this book as Walter was actually writing about the book. And I heard about this book as Walter was doing his broadcast concerning this book. And I used to be an engineer for the Brooks Report. So with that, and without farther ado, I would like to introduce Trust No Shadows After Dark, African-American Genocide in the United States of America, written by Walter Vincent Brooks. Give you a live shot of the book. Just received this copy today. Can't wait to break off into it. Walter will be talking about this book doing the next program of the mix get ready um gotta check a date for you so i'll make sure i don't flub it up for you but uh, uh give me a moment while i rattle on for a moment and i'll get you a date 
but uh, do look forward to that. I am very proud of Walter. He also uh, signed the book and uh, a very personal uh, message to uh, my wife and I, and I am very grateful of this. He also has an ingenious way So, uh, actually, I was just uh, responding to Walter. He had tipped me. Uh, I let him know that I had received the book. My apology there. Didn't mean to uh, put that dead air in there. But, uh, yes, I'll, I'll get to that and we'll wrap that up. But, again, um, very grateful for Brother Yakini to come in and speak to us concerning that great work that he's doing up there. Uh, if you can... And if you want to support Brother Walter Brooks and Trust No Shadows After Dark, you can do that by uh, checking out the mix. Uh, and the mix will be coming up again in November. And in November, that will be one, two, three, the 15th of November, my sister's birthday. How about that? The mix, the 15th of November, uh, will be coming up with Brother Walter Brooks. He will be going through his book, Trust No Shadows After Dark, Dark The African-American uh, Genocide in the United States of America. Again, he'll be going through this book on the mix. Uh, you do not want to miss out on this presentation uh very detailed if you have not figured it out just listening to the title you might want to just look into the show and check us out and listen to what he is telling us about his book uh it is always open for discussion uh we will love to entertain those discussions here at uh, the mix get ready so again, that's November 15th. That will be coming up at 7.30 p.m. Central Time right here at the Facebook Live. DKCOG gets you ready. You can view it live there. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the program and the conversation with Brother Yakini. And again, we appreciate the brother coming through and sharing that wisdom and knowledge with us. Uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your evening. I'm going to go ahead and sign off here. Peace and love. We'll see you next Monday. Uh, that should be... Next Monday, today is the 30, today is the 18th, that'll be the, nope, today is the 25th, so we will see you November 1st, we'll be checking back in with you with the Get Ready uh, program live here on Facebook, thank you, you guys have a great night, thank you for tuning in.